0: section fifty five of paved with gold this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by judy mason paved with gold by augustus mayhew chapter twenty two of book the third the road to ruin a wedding trip to console the unfortunate of this world, some humane philosopher started a theory that more men were ruined by success than by failures. A gentleman who has just passed the insolvent court and finds himself at two o'clock on a wet morning without twopence to pay for a night's shakedown may feel a glow of satisfaction from this paralogism, but until white Cross street is crowded with prisoners possessed of five thousand a year or the house of correction be crammed with vagabonds who keep their carriages we cannot place perfect confidence in this curious speculation in morals there was captain crosier was he a ruin if it be insisted that he was then we must add that never was a ruin in a more perfect state of repair his ivy of remorse was neatly clipped and trained the weeds of repentance were most carefully kept under he ate and drank with a heartiness pleasant to behold and altogether was healthy and amiable unfortunately for his victim the only chance he ran of being ruined was from his indecision of mind he never once lost sight of the object he had in view, but he loitered on the way and rested often on the road. Yet he was successful. Bertha was most decidedly his. He had only to call a cab and order her to step into it, and she would have obeyed he was like a timid man at a gambling-table he longed to join in the game and win as his noble friends had done but yet he held back nervously calculating the chances of losing whilst the ball was moving he felt undecided and it was not until it stopped that he determined on making the venture thus it was only when adverse circumstances dimmed his hopes of making the delightful bertha his that he felt the gratification of his desires was necessary to his happiness but the moment the path appeared easy and conquest seemed certain he drew back to think the matter over and repent his mind was a miserable coasting vessel that could only steer its course so long as the rocks were in view the pretty bertha pined and thought at times her dear merchant treated her most coldly ordering her about in a commanding tone as if he wished purposely to remind her that after all she was only a maid-servant then the poor girl would regret the days when she lived so peaceably under miss tomsey's roof and, restored to reason by her sorrowful thoughts allow her brain to rebel against her heart until she was thoroughly convinced of the impossibility of ever being mrs captain Crosier. how charmingly when he again evinced symptoms of wishing to renew their love she would warn him to leave her in peace and permit her to try and forget they had ever met you are ashamed of me now she would say very sorrowfully in a clear voice without a sob in it, although the tears ran down her cheeks. Of course you will deny it, but I can tell from your ways that you are. It is much better that we should part, better for you, and a thousand times better for me. It would kill me. Don't laugh. I'm speaking seriously. It would kill me if you should ever consider that I disgraced you. When they asked what I had been when they inquired who my mother was, i know you would feel terribly sorry that we ever met do go away i think i could bear it now at least i can promise you shall never know if the separation is more than i can endure as when a lusty poker wielded by a broad-palmed hand is driven among the dull red embers the flame with each thrust springs upwards to the chimney so did these iron words arouse the dormant affection in the grates of the captain's bosom and send his hot love leaping to his throat he swore and vowed he knelt and pressed and gradually the glow of his love imparted its warmth to the chilled heart of the fair one in a book of domestic economy there is an excellent recipe for making a good cheap fire the author says damp the cinders with a little water and they will burn exceedingly well the tears from bertha's eyes had this effect on the dull black dust of merton's burnt-out nature it was after such a scene as the one above described that the captain in the full heat of his affection had gone out to cool his ardent love and commune with himself in the seclusion of the back streets of camberwell poor little thing he thought to himself i can't bear to see her cry her sorrow is so confoundedly calm it frightens me i know she'd kill herself somehow or other if i left her and although I don't believe in ghosts, yet I should always be thinking of her, and that's as bad. There are all those things I bought for her lying at my place in Harley Street. What the deuce could I do with them? They're too large for Helen, so I couldn't give them to her. Besides, it looks so odd making presents of linen to one's sister. Hang me if I know what to do. I love her better than she thinks confound her in the midst of his reflections he felt someone touch him on the shoulder he instantly recognised the countenance of jack towser formerly of his regiment but jack towser had very materially altered since they had last met formerly jack towser had been a great dandy now he was most undoubtedly ragged his hat was dented and coppery his coat was as patched as a barge sail and his boots opened and gaped like the shells of a dead oyster the dashing merton hunted with his eyes for jack's shirt but even if he had drawn the cover of the closely pinned waistcoat it is doubtful whether any linen lay concealed beneath good heaven jack cried merton what is the matter jack had been a great fellow in his time he drove a spanking curricle and never wore a coat more than a fortnight his tailors worked for him night and day jack used to worry cats to death with bulldogs in his drawing-room and play blind hooky for three days and nights at a time now his money was gone his wits had returned and he admitted he had been a great fool he told a mournful story about no dinners and no baccy his former companion-in-arms understood the meaning of the complaint and when they reached a deserted street took money from his purse in the evening merton weeded his wardrobe and carried round to jack's garret a bundle of clothes that any dealer of cast-off apparel would have been happy to purchase for ten sovereigns this jack towser in the days of his magnificence had been a desperate admirer of the female sex the captain could remember several wonderful stories that had been told at the mess-table of his extraordinary impudence and success he is the very man i have been wanting thought merton he knows nothing about bertha mother Hazelwood, or her workhouse neither need i mention how long i have been after her by jove it seems like a providence my meeting him of an evening the captain would slip a bottle of brandy into his pocket and go round to jack's and smoke drink and chat the quondam buck had descended from the roof to the ground floor after the third visit burton took jack into his confidence he told a long story about his meeting with bertha in kensington gardens some few weeks since and detailed the conversation they had whilst he was following her home he took great credit to himself for his tact in engaging rooms in her mother's house he related many other imaginary incidents with such excessive minuteness that jack knew he was lying although he was too clever to say as much but only laughed and vowed it did him good to hear such jolly stories she's a respectable girl and deuced well educated in that sort of thing continued merton not so much on bertha's account as his own i never saw anyone so head over heels in love with a fellow as she is with me of course it's her game to hook me into a marriage and mine to fight shy of the business and yet the rum thing is she's ready to bolt with me whenever i like what would you advise me to do such gentlemen as jack towser are not long in framing schemes for their ideas are not governed by any delicacy of feeling or the slightest respect for the person to be deceived the night's conversation appeared to have led to a highly satisfactory result for on leaving merton squeezed his friend's hand warmly and said i'm confoundedly obliged to you old boy not a word to any one keep it dark and mind it's a bargain you help me in this little affair and i'll stand a fifty all the captain's affection for bertha now returned he began once more to look in her face and make strange noises in his throat he asked her fifty times a day if she really loved him and poured blessings on her head as she modestly blushed in reply then he inquired if she had carefully hidden away her wedding ring and looked pleasantly sly as she assured him it was not lost the lovesick maiden felt so light-hearted with joy that she seemed to walk on clouds her darling merton was himself again his beautiful smiles had returned to his handsome face he was all goodness and truth now the fond lover began to press his beloved with great importunity to name the day he pretended to be seriously offended when she implored him to allow her to consult her mother what he cried this from you bertha when you know as well as i do how important it is that our union should be kept secret would you ruin me dearest angel surely it cannot make much difference whether your mother hears of our marriage a day or sooner or later beautiful but imprudent girl you wrong me for this looks like suspicion but he teased her and allowed her no rest until the wedding-day was fixed all his arrangements were laid before her with an appearance of the greatest candor. They were to be united at the registrar's office. It was, he said, a much quieter and more sensible method than at the church. So as not to arouse the mother's suspicions, he was to quit Camberwell the day before. The next morning they were to meet. Her clothing was already at the lodgings in Harley Street. He would have everything ready for leaving London the moment after the ceremony. Then, for years of happiness and delight. Eh, hey, Bertha? Three days before the eventful morning arrived, Merton received his father's letter, summoning him to Swanborough to protect the house and its inmates. He couldn't help laughing when he read the epistle. Just the thing, he thought. It'll make our wedding trip. Couldn't have happened better there's a capital hotel at elbury i can leave her at the royal george and gallop over to the governor's blow him up and rush back again to bertha time flew on portmanteaus were packed locked and strapped and mr cutler was informed that for three weeks at least he might consider himself his own master the cab was called and off rattled the bridegroom he was the first at the rendezvous with his watch in hand he waited impatiently for the fair one he thrust his head frequently from the window and cursed and swore as he looked anxiously up and down the road at last she came with tears in her eyes and with a face full of wretchedness to implore of him to let her remain with her mother he drew her into the cab and, whispering an address to the cabman, ordered him to drive rapidly. The man saw that something was up and, dreaming of a little bit of gold, lashed his horse into full speed. Presently the captain told Bertha they had reached the registrar's office. He alighted first and inquired if Mr. Towser was at home. She hesitated to leave the cab but in a snappish voice he bade her make haste saying that these public officials did not like to be kept waiting so she was introduced to mr towser the registrar a thin gentleman with a dissipated face but solemnly clothed in black he also wore a white neckcloth and steel spectacles crozier crozier repeated the registrar as if the name was familiar to him and at the same time hunting over his books perfectly correct sir the notice was left with me three weeks since he added as if reading an entry is this the lady he asked raising his solemn face when bertha had faintly smiled in answer he continued then we had better commence the ceremony at once step this way for fear bertha should refuse to put faith in the excessively short ceremonial known as a marriage before the registrar the captain had cunningly purchased a law-book on the subject and to prepare her mind had not only shown her the printed description of the rite but even made her read the words out loud the couple were ushered into a front drawing-room in one corner of which was a desk then looking fearfully solemn jack towser proceeded to business first the captain had to declare that he merton crosier was anxious to make her bertha hazlewood his wedded wife and also to declare that he knew of no just cause or impediment why he merton crosier should be thwarted in his desires the poor girl who felt as if her tongue was withered was made to repeat that she bertha Hazelwood, was equally anxious to be united to him merton crozier finally mr jack towser turning up his eyes from excessive zeal solemnly declared that the two were tightly joined together and with the signing of names in a big book with a red cover the ceremony was declared to be at an end it made bertha start when mr jack towser in his gruff voice addressed her as mrs crosier she also noticed that when merton paid the registrar his fees it was with a note for fifty pounds and she could not help thinking how much more expensive it was to be married in that quiet manner than at the church by the regular process it did both their hearts good to hear the registrar wish them a pleasant honeymoon he spoke in such an affectionate manner hoping that their lives would be one long sunny holiday undisturbed by the slightest conceivable cloud and praying that their family would grow up around them a blessing to their parents and a glory to the nation he was only checked in his benedictions by the captain inquiring when the marriage certificates would be made out and ready for him how very considerate of dear merton thought bertha who was extremely desirous of possessing documentary evidence of her lawful union the papers were to be prepared and waiting by the time they returned from their wedding-trip they drove down to the railway station she was so flurried and so supremely happy that it seemed as if the hobbling old cab-horse flew over the ground with lightning speed so rapidly did the time pass they held each other by the hand and whenever her companion muttered darling bertha she sighed dearest merton seated in the railway carriage this scoundrel felt his soul shrink up within him as he calmly contemplated his villainy She poor unhappy victim was unconsciously smiling on him worshipping with her eyes the generous man who forgetting her humbleness and his own grandeur could raise her to the dignity of his wife he could not for some time talk to her if it had been possible he would at that moment have let her go unharmed but by some curious fatality it would seem as if these virtuous impulses only enter the heart at the exact time when it is impossible to comply with them encouraging himself with the consoling thought that it was now too late to back out of the business and that he must go through with it as best he could he placed his arm round her waist and began to chat most amiably he warned her in a tender voice which seemed to deny his words that occasionally perhaps twice or thrice a year they might have quarrels and disputes he tried to convince her that he was now and then irritable he went so far as to confess that he was at times overbearing and exacting but my dearest angel he continued you will soon teach me to be a better man when you see that i am inclined to quarrel you will conquer me by your amiability we shall live so happily that all the world will be envious of our great joy my pretty little wife shall be the envy of the men and all the women shall bite their nails with vexation that they have not married such a constant doting husband as i shall prove eh hey, bertha then the silly girl began to chatter about the future never dear merton she said let us have any secrets away from each other whatever you may do i will forgive you if you will confide in me it would break my heart dear if i thought you considered me unworthy to be trusted because it would seem as if you had withdrawn your love from me blessed angel exclaimed Crosier in a rapture how can you suspect me of ever deceiving you i promise you that you shall share every thought i will take no important step in life without previously consulting you your advice shall have more influence over me than even my own judgment does that calm your fears my beautiful little wife they smiled with superlative fondness and gazed on each other's eyes for an unusually long time i shall be so jealous of you bertha sighed crozier as he felt his sight grow misty already i hate men because i know they will admire you i was foolish to marry such a pretty wife is it to be wondered at if the poor child had no suspicion of the infamous cheat that had been plotted against her honour when the journey was about half over it suddenly struck the captain that the name of Crosier was one very well known to the inhabitants of elbury it would never do he considered to take bertha to the first hotel in this town and style her mrs crosier the old man would be sure to hear of it or some busybody would certainly carry to his sister helen the news that her brother was married that would about blow up the whole business if his name had not been painted in huge white letters on the waterproof coverings of his portmanteaus he would have assumed a false one it was very awkward indeed in the first place, there's a certain delight and importance in being able to talk of my wife, which he was sorry to miss. It seemed like talking of his property. It was a hundredfold better than speaking of my groom or my horses. He was fond of that. He longed to be able to ask waiters and chambermaids whether Mrs. Crozier had ordered dinner or if Mrs. Crozier had arranged about the apartments but hard as it was to forego this self-glorification he felt he must defer the enjoyment until they left elbury he showed bertha the letter he had received from his father and told her that as they would pass within a few miles of swanborough he would leave her at a hotel whilst he paid a visit to his parent and laughed him out of his fears it wouldn't take long he promised for the old gentleman was as sensible as a bench of bishops put together and would soon listen to reason in the meantime dearest he continued nervously i think it would be better not that i care much although until the proper time arrives for declaring ourselves it is a highly prudent measure it would be better my love for you to go by an assumed name i can say you are a mrs Tattenham, whom i am escorting to southampton it will only be for a short time i shall only be away for about three hours and then we can take a post-chaise and hurry on to the next town do you object to this my darling she did object and felt hurt at the proposition it struck her as being odd that within so short a date of their union it should be necessary for her to forego her husband's name but then she suddenly remembered that this was not the first time he had warned her it was necessary the marriage should be kept secret and with as much good-nature as she could summon she consented to his wishes the waiters at the royal george danced about with remarkable activity when captain crosier's trunks were handed down from the railway fly mine host turned out to attend to the rich banker's son a handsome sitting-room was ordered from mrs Tattenham, and a bottle of sherry and some biscuits were placed before the travellers the landlord seemed quite wounded in his feelings when he heard the captain only intended to remain in elbury for a few hours he said he would have exerted himself to the utmost to make his stay agreeable why you silly fellow replied the captain if i went anywhere i should put up at swanborough there's plenty of room there i'm escorting mrs tattenham to southampton or you wouldn't have seen me as it is i've only just time to eat a hurried dinner so pray consult with mrs tattenham about what there is in the house fit to be eaten i wish you wouldn't call me mrs tattenham thought bertha makes me feel cold all over as if something were going to happen i shall be glad when we leave the place they dined at three o'clock to allow Crosier plenty of time to make his visit to his father it was a pleasant repast not so much on account of the viands the host provided as for the loving conversation which they held had any inquisitive waiter been listening at the keyhole the secret of the supposed marriage would soon have been discovered the captain invariably addressed the imaginary mrs tattenham by such endearing terms as my life my love or my sweetest pet the matter under discussion was of a monetary character the gallant officer hinted that possibly mrs crosier would occasionally find that a little cash was useful and informed her that she was to consider his purse as her own i would not hurt your feelings my darling by doing as most men do for i consider it a most blackguardy and impertinent thing to allowance your wife to so much weekly it seems to me like paying wages no my sweet lamb remember that whatever i have is yours this singular gentleman felt a great delight in mimicking the ways of a lawful husband with a delicacy that pierced clean through bertha's heart he took from his pocket his own purse and handed it over to her crammed as it was with notes saying that for the future she should be the banker but he could not help the thought crossing his mind that it would be excessively easy to check this unbounded trust at any moment he liked does good now and soon stopped by and by when we are more intimate and she grows extravagant he repeated to himself a horse was ordered and the captain rode away his fine military figure looking most imposing as he turned round in his saddle to wave his hand to his beautiful bertha the three hours he was to have been absent passed then she went to the window again to watch for his return and stood there poor little thing for another three hours until it was so dark she could not see ten yards down the road but she listened very industriously in vain did the waiter enter the room to know if mrs Tattenham would have tea served the same answer was constantly given no i thank you captain crosier intends leaving elbury the minute he returns nine o'clock struck and her nervousness was such that the slamming of a door was enough to make her burst into tears at last the waiter again entered with a letter and a bunch of keys on the silver salver. She almost guessed what the note was about even before she read it. My pretty darling, it began, the people here are mad and the old man worse than anyone. He swore at me and commanded me not to leave the house. I was obliged to obey him, for not only is he my father, but worth at least a couple of hundred thousand. Queer way of beginning our honeymoon, isn't it? never mind sweetest i send the keys go to bed and have breakfast ready by eight for i shall have my arm round your waist by that hour by eleven o'clock a pair of interesting small botines were placed outside mrs tattenham's bedroom door the boots could only just find room enough on the soles to chalk the number of the chamber End of section 55.